love it. How are we doing? Sweet, sweet. Hey, my name is Ryan Rohan. Welcome to Stone Creek Church. Everybody say hey. Cool. Are y'all ready for something special this morning? Come on, come on. Hey, we're in the middle of a series called Bricklayers. Everybody say Bricklayers. She's a brick. No, layer. She's a bricklayer. She's a bricklayer. Um, so, hey, we're in this series called Bricklayers, and it's been pretty spectacular over the last six, seven weeks where we got to come and uh, get to explore the book of Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, man, he walks on the scene. Um, he's a cupbearer for the king. He's hanging out eight, 800 miles away from Jerusalem, 800 miles away from his Jewish ancestry. And he gets word that the Jewish people are like down and out. The wall's broken. The city's broken. Uh, they're getting defeated. Uh, armies are coming to gather around them and attack them. And so he gets word that this is happening. And so, so Nehemiah does this great thing, this, this great work. Of, of Nehemiah actually prays for three months. Like, Oh, God, where is this conviction coming from? Like, like what, where, where, is this, where is this coming from and what, what should I do? Have you ever been in a position like that? Where like there's something in your heart is, is just stirred. There's this conviction, this, this thing you, you couldn't, you couldn't uh, uh, unleash yourself from. You, you couldn't throw it away. And it just, it just kept popping up over and over and over. Well, Nehemiah, he, he prayed for three months before he, he really even asked the king for, for direction. And, and so he finally asked the king. The, the king sent him on his journey. He, he makes the trek uh, to Jerusalem. He, he gets there. He surveys the land. It, it's just so interesting to me, all the ins and outs of the story. When he shows up, people aren't there to like, celebrate him and welcome him. Uh, but he kind of sneaks in. He kind of surveys all the damage, all the turmoil, all, all the work that he has to do. And, and, and then he begins to gather the people. He asks people to quit their jobs to serve on the mission of rebuilding the city and the wall and, the, and, and everything in it. And, and people do it. And for three months, I mean, they're getting attacked. They're getting opposed. Uh, Nehemiah is continuing this, this, this great work. And we finally get today in chapter 7 and chapter 8 where the building of the wall and the gates are complete. Let's give it a hand clap. That's, just, that's a great work. I mean, Nehemiah, Nehemiah did it. And Stephen's been asking this question to us, to me, all series long. He's been asking, what great work are you doing? Have you answered it yet? I mean, Stephen's been asking me that question. Sometimes I, I go, yeah, yeah, he's asking me the question. Nehemiah did a great work. But, but, but really, Ryan, like what, what, is the, what is the real great work that I'm doing? And to be honest, sometimes I go home and I'm wrestling with it. That I could say my great work is being a pastor. Or my great work is being a father. Or my great work is being a husband. Or my, my, my great work is being a neighbor right now. But, but in reality, sometimes I, I walk away from this place and I'm going... I don't, even, I don't even know if I'm doing a great work. And so, so today we get to unravel this question. How do you know you are doing a great work? Like, like how do you, how do I, like how do we leave this place? How, how do we look at all the list of things, all the responsibilities, all the things that people are asking us and pulling us in a direction? Like, like how do we actually know that you and I, that we're doing a good work? And, and, and if you uh, if you missed the last couple of weeks, or if maybe you've just been here a couple of times, you can go back online, go to YouTube, search Stone Creek. You can watch all the talks from now or from, from week one into now. If you want to study the Bible more, if you want to jump in and try to understand the words of Nehemiah, you can download the Bible app. We've had custom Bible reading plans at your service for chapters one through seven. And, and many of us like we we, we we get stuck in this place of going, man. I, I just don't know if I'm doing a great work. And, and here's the answer today. If you don't know if you're doing a great work or not, this is the answer. Your great work should bring you great joy. 
your great work should bring great joy. Do you remember the last time you had great joy? Like, like, like think back for a second. And not, not that you were just happy, not, not that you were just having a good time, but when is the last time you actually had great joy? As I was writing this, this talk, I'm looking back at my own life, and I'm like, oh, man, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to find great joy. Maybe it's because this is the life we live in. Uh, maybe it's because this past year and a half, two years have just been, been wild for me and my family. It may have been wild for your family, and maybe it's just always been wild. But, but, but looking back at our life, maybe it's, it's really hard to find great joy. As I was looking back at great joy, I remember having our, our first kid. We, Ashley, right? Ashley had our first baby. And, and, and you know, you flipping through social media, right? And you see gender reveals, right? You see all the crazy stuff of like the gender. And you see the joy that everybody's like, it's a girl or it's a boy. And like families are running around with confetti and blown up golf balls and like all, all kind of crazy stuff. And then there's just so much joy. Do, do you remember that time? Do you remember when your first baby was born? Just, just the joy? <laughs> Moms, I can only imagine the pain and the heartache and everything, but then you, you hold your baby for the first time, and Ashley would say it was just this overwhelming joy where she got to forget all about childbirth. That's why we had three more. I'm like, oh, really? You want to do this again? And uh, she's like, but the, the joy of birthing another child. Uh, maybe, maybe you're um, a student, right, and the joy of, like, acing your first test. Has that ever happened? Uh, okay, come on, come on. There's some joy there. Um, the joy of your first home run in Little League. Do y'all remember that? You still have the game ball, right, of your first goal. There's the joy and the, the excitement that comes around to the first soccer PK kick shootout. Like, it's just this mad joy. City serve, we do city serve several times throughout um, the year here at Stone Creek where like a, a couple months ago we shut down Sunday morning and we served our city. And do you remember like the, the, the joy that, over, that, that, that was overflowing from city serve? Those you packed backpacks, that as you went to a school and helped set up Gaga Ball, as you laid bolts down a mile long trail, I had this one guy, like he had a wheelbarrow, he was like jacked and he would just like fill it up and like run down this deal and dump it. And I'm like, that seems painful and hurtful, but like every time I saw him running back, it was just, a, it was just, a, it was just a, a face and a heart full of joy. Do you remember the last time that you had full joy? I think um, the great work that Jesus has given you, the great work that Jesus has given me, the great work that Jesus has given our church should and will bring us great joy. Let me pray for us before we jump into the scripture, okay? Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this place. Thank you so much for your Bible. Thank you so much for the words. Thank you so much for the freedom that we have to preach your word and understand it. And I pray, Jesus, that you will uh, give me more joy today, that you will give us more joy today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah 8, um, Nehemiah 7. This is really cool. Nehemiah, uh, the walls are completed. The gates are, are done. And, and what happens is Nehemiah begins to gather all the people uh, of the city. Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, if I'm Nehemiah, after I complete something, after I buy a new house, after you do the remodel, or for me during COVID, once you, you hand build the deck out in your backyard, like the first thing you want to do is invite people over and show it off, right? Like well, when you do a great work, don't you want people to come and see it? Uh, Nehemiah actually does the opposite. I mean, he doesn't, uh, Nehemiah doesn't grab the people and walk around to the wall and be like, hey, do you know who, who laid those bricks? Like, oh my goodness, we were over here one day, see these bricks? And then there was opposition and Sanballat was, was, was yelling, yelling insults. Do you remember this? And this family went over here. Like, like, like Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah didn't have selfies and photo ops in front of the wall in the front of his great work. What he did was he ended up gathering all the people. 
I think many times in our life, once you and I, we begin a great work, what we do is we end up ending the great work by just looking at it. That we do a great work, that we look at our marriage, or we look at our kids, or we look at our job, and we back away, and we get to look at the great work and remember the great work that we did. But what Nehemiah teaches us, and what Nehemiah teaches me and you, is that, that we can't just sit back and look at the great work that God has done in and through us, but we have to sit back and anticipate the joy that's going to come from it. Do you understand the difference? The completion of your work isn't just physical. The, the wall was built. The people were safe. Yay, Nehemiah, he did a great work. People hadn't been able to do this in hundreds of years. And shouldn't they celebrate? Shouldn't they sit back? Shouldn't they take a vacation? But they didn't. Nehemiah decided to, to take a look back, knowing that his great work would lead people to a greater joy. Your great work should lead people to joy. Your great work shouldn't lead people to you. Your great work shouldn't lead people to me. My great work shouldn't lead people to my house or to my things or to my accomplishments. My great work and your great work should lead people to a greater joy. What work are you doing? What work am I doing that's bringing people closer to joy? Nehemiah did a great work, but he was anticipating the greater work of God. And we see it unfold in chapter 8. Nehemiah 8 verse 1 says this, this is an all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. All man, I mean, all, all, all people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Everybody say one man. Amen. Everyone gathered together. This was interesting because in, um, in those times when, when people would gather to worship God, they, they would usually go to the temple. And when you came to the temple, you, you'd kind of come into the temple and the temple was kind of it separated people, it separated genders, it separated the poor from the rich, it separated the, the, the pastor or the priest from the, from the common folk. And so there was these, like, these separations where some people could go in and some people couldn't go in. But what Nehemiah chose to do was that he gathered everyone into the center square. Like everyone in the middle of the city, everyone had walked there before. Everywhere had, everybody had, had, had walked through those streets before and he gathered everyone there. He didn't ask people to dress up and come to church on a Sunday morning. He didn't ask everyone to hop out of the vehicle and smile on both faces and act like you're the perfect family as you walk into church. He said, come, come meet us in a place where, where everyone's comfortable. See, unity brings joy, separation brings sadness. Unity brings joy, separation brings sadness. Have you ever been alone? First year of college, in the dorm room, Everyone's out, but you're alone. You're on the sports team. You're sitting on the bench. You haven't played a minute all year. You're all alone. You're at the office. Everyone else has checked out, clocked out. You're all alone. You feel like you're the only one fighting for your marriage, the only one that cares. You're all alone. Unity brings hope. Separation brings sadness. And Nehemiah knew this. He, he knew that all the people had to gather. And people didn't have to gather in one spot, and old people in another spot, children in another spot. He wanted all people to gather together. Have you ever been to a family reunion? <laughs> Does that bring joy? Uh, 
not mine. <laughs> I mean, you show up, right? And you show up to the family reunion. You see uncles and cousins that you've never met before. You have the uncle that your mom tells you, don't, don't, go, don't go close to that one. Um, you have the senile grandpa. I don't know what your family is like, but my, my, my family's a show. Uh, we're from Alabama. Don't judge me. Roll Tide. But like we walk into uh, a family reunion and it's just bad. This is bad. Um, it, it doesn't bring joy <laughs> uh, at all. But, but well, why doesn't it bring joy? Because we're not unified. We're, we're all together, but we're not unified. We're not unified around a common goal. We're unified maybe around a last name, but, but we're not unified over anything that's really important. And we get to meet together and hang out together and you get to kind of look at these cousins that you're like, I don't know if I want to act like I've ever met them before. And you walk away. What Nehemiah does is he brings everyone together. And the unity was based all around Jesus, all around God. I mean, these Jews, right, let's just remember that these Jews were just in exile. Uh, they had been away from the word of God. Uh, they had been fighting. They hadn't been focused on each other. And they're finally safe inside of the city. And they're unified going, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe, maybe God is for real this time. Maybe our relationship with God is actually going to be for real this time. And they begin to unify around the common unity of Jesus. Does it feel like we live in a culture of separation today? Does it feel like you have to make decisions and then you're going to be placed over here or over there? I mean, even um, my first child, Riley, she's in first grade. And uh, kind of the big, not battle, but the question Ashley and I are having right now is like, hey, do we homeschool, private school, or public school? And in whatever one we choose, we get placed in a camp, don't we? Well, there's political whether it's over COVID-19, we're placed into an environment where we just feel separated. And look right at me, because my hope for this church, my hope for this place, my hope for you guys, the hope for me is that we can walk into this place, this church for one hour a Sunday, a couple hours a Sunday and feel unified. That it doesn't matter if your masks are not masked. It doesn't matter if you're going to get the booster or not get the booster. It doesn't matter if you're homeschooled, private schooled, or public schooled. But, but, but maybe the question that you and I should be asking each other, and maybe just thinking about, because most of us don't have enough courage to ask the questions. But, but maybe coming on Sunday morning, we should just think about the question, like, or ask the question, do you want to grow closer to Jesus today? Like, like, is your purpose here? Are you, are you coming here because you want to know more about Jesus and follow Jesus today? And I bet that's why you sh you're showing up, right? There's some kind of pull. There's some kind of tug. There's, there's some kind of conviction of like, man, I want to grow and fall in love with Jesus. And how, how exciting and how rare and how amazing this, this one or two or three hours a week could be if we walked in this place knowing that this was is, this is unifying. And if we're unified, guess what? This unity, it brings joy. Uh, Ashley and I, we brought in Mama Lee into our house nine months ago. Mama Lee is my 92-year-old grandmother. She was here first service. Uh, she's the oldest member of the congregation. Give it up for Mama Lee. Come on. She's awesome. She's, she's funny. Um, and uh, a couple of days ago, she goes, hey, hey Ryan, uh, how do I uh, transfer my membership from my old church to this church? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's, that, what does that mean? Uh, 
you don't, I don't know, like what, what, what on your obituary, I just say like a, a member of Stone, like I, don't, I don't know what that, what that means. Um, but but the, what's really cool of, uh, about unity around um, the old and young and, and then people that look like you and act like you and need, need different things than you is that in my home, I, I get to see this unity. I, I get to see that, that Mom Lee can s- sit in a chair and my two-year-old Carly can walk up to her and sit in her lap. And I don't know about you, but that, that brings me joy. That brings me joy that, that my, 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 my daughter can experience her great-grandmother's love. Unity brings joy. And, and look around. I mean, there's people that are older than you, praise God. There's people that are younger than you, praise God. There's people who look different than you, have different convictions than you. There's some parents in this room. There's some singles in this room. There's some students in this room. Come on. There's all kind of people in this room. And, and for us to really experience joy, we've got to experience unity. Let's keep reading. This is verse 1. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. This is wild. Uh, This is wild. So so, so Nehemiah gathers the people in the center courts. Uh, They don't go to the church or the temple. They gather in public. And what they do is the people begin to gather and they're like, hey, where's the pastor? Where's Ezra? Ezra, the priest, he has the Bible. Like, can, can you, Nehemiah, can you go find him, bring him up? We, we want him to, to, to preach or to teach or to read the word of God to us. Ezra, the pastor, the priest of the day, he, he didn't show up on Sunday at 7 a.m. and like pray and beg and plead God for people to show up. Well, what happened was it was, was people actually gathered together. And so like, hey, where's the pastor? Let's call him. Like, like how would this look in your neighborhood or in your friend circle that you begin to, out of the overflow of joy in your life, begin to talk about Jesus in such a way that people begin to gather around you? And they begin to ask questions about this joy. And you're like, oh, I don't have all the answers. Let me call Stephen. Uh, Stephen, can you come to my house and preach? He'll do it. We talked about it. His number is 770- uh, Stop. <laughs> stop. Sorry. I don't know. Uh, yeah, sorry. I just got to carry away. But like Stephen, Stephen would show up. <laughs> show up. What if people gathered around together and you ask, can the word of God be preached? Because they knew that the, the Bible would bring them great joy. It says, and he read from it facing the square into the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and whose and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. <laughs> Early morning, midday, 6.30 a.m. till noon, six hours this man got up on a stage and just read the word of God. Spectacular. And the Bible says that every single one of them were attentive. Are you attentive right now? Like These guys were like on the edge of their seat. You'll see in a second, they begin to stand up. They're like, oh, this is the word of God. Something's happening here. Like, uh, there's so much joy. There's so much joy in the Bible that I'm willing to sometimes endure or receive the words of the Bible because of the great joy that it can bring. Uh, Nehemiah knew that, that it was never just really about the wall of his great work, but, but God allowed the wall to, re, to rebuild uh, so he could rebuild the people. Nehemiah's great work wasn't just the the wall, but he knew God was going to allow the rebuilding of the wall to rebuild his people. Your great work is not ending with your great work. Your great work is used to help grow you closer to Jesus. 
And the Bible for us, the Bible for them is, is the primary tool that we, you and I can use. In, in their day and age, these, these Jewish people, they were in exile. Many of them had, had maybe never even heard the Bible read before. It wasn't like um, Ezra came up with just a, a physical Bible and was like, sweet, cool, let's go with it. I mean, he only had the five first book, or the, the first five books of the Old Testament. He probably had it written down on a scroll. So, so, so Ezra probably kind of walked out and was like, all right, you know, here, here's, here's kind of, of the word of God. And these people were listening to the word of God because they hadn't heard it in a really long time. We're you and I, and we can, we can listen to the Bible on our way in and out of work. You and I, we use the Bible maybe as a coaster on our nightstand. You, you and I, we have Bibles in our cars, in our backpacks, in our homes, on our phones. These people, they didn't have access to it. And so when the Bible was preached, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa this, this is like a new, new episode. This is like a new, new TV show. This is like a, a new movie that's just been revealed. And, and like, oh, I got to get on the edge of the seat. I, I, I want to remember what has happened. And, and, and many of us, I think sometimes even in our own lives that we don't believe the Bible brings us joy, but many of us, we believe that Bible brings us boredom. And that's one of the biggest um, excuses I hear when people talk about, I just don't understand it. And it's to- totally normal. It's totally okay. But I think many of us, we can look at the Bible bringing us joy when we look back at the times in our life that we were at our lowest. Do you remember those moments where you just, you just absolutely needed the Bible? This is where the Jewish people were. I remember we, we actually gave birth to Riley in 2015, and this a few months later, she became pregnant with our second child, which is pretty awesome and pretty excited. We began to anticipate the joy of having two girls back-to-back within like 15 months of each other. But tragically, in our second trimester, in Ashley's second trimester, she, she had a miscarriage. And our, and our joy in that moment was just stripped away. And all Ashley and all I could look at each other was with this despair, broken dreams, broken hearts. God, this was, this was such a dream. This was such a joy. Like we, were, we were ready and willing to walk into season with us. And, and now we have, to, we have to part ways with this child that we had so many hopes and dreams for. It was in that moment where I called a mentor of mine. I'm like, I don't know what to think, what to feel, what to say, what to do. And I know I should probably go to the Word of God, but I don't really even want to go to the Word of God. And if I did go to the Word of God, I don't even know where I would go in the Word of God. And Matt, he, he, he reminded me of a, of a story in 2 Samuel. You remember King David? David had had a son in 2 Samuel, and the son, the baby, was really sick. And David went away, and he was fasting, and he was praying, and he was mourning. And the, the baby tragically died. And David entered in on the scene and he put his clothes back on and he began to eat and drink again. And, and people ask him, like, well, what, wait, David, what are you doing? And he responds like this in 2 Samuel 12. He goes, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And in the scripture, this, this scripture came alive for me. This scripture, I, I took hold of this scripture. The scripture gave me the, this there's this hope that that's going to allow me to see my little girl in heaven one day. And yes, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find Jesus first and go, oh my goodness, what, what a life, what, what a relationship you, you were willing to have with me. But well, where's my daughter? I, I want to meet my daughter. So I know you're not going to bring her back to me, but, 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 but David seems to believe, and I'll, I'll follow after David, but David seems to believe that he, he's going to go and meet her. Like, doesn't that bring you hope? 
when and if you lose someone, does, doesn't that bring you hope? There's other scriptures that, that we can read. In Psalm 27, 10, it says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You grew up, and your mom and dad, they weren't present. They weren't fair. They were selfish. They were in the picture, or they were out of the picture. But, but you and I, we can look at Psalm 27, 10 and go, Oh, my goodness, Jesus isn't just there with me. He, he's going to take me in. He's going to open the door and invite me into his house. Oh, my gosh, what, what, great, what great joy can you and I have? John 16, it says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You think you have problems? You're having a bad day? <laughs> Jesus has overcome it. And Jesus is willing to walk alongside with you. In Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. What are you scared of right now? What is your anxiety whispering in your ears to you right now? I've sought the Lord. And he answered me. In Psalm 94, 18, it says, When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, it helped me. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When you mess up, when you go back and do the thing that you promised your spouse, yourself, that you would never do again, when you slip, when you trip, Jesus is there with his steadfast love. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he's above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, Amen. Come on, lifting up their hands. No, don't do that. Um, and, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, the, the Jews ha had been in exile. The Jews ha had been apart from God, apart from God's word. And when they gathered together, they had a response. You need to write this down. Joy has a response. What is your response? Joy has a response. What is your response? Have you ever met somebody that said they were full of joy that didn't act like it? Like you, you, can't, you can't act like you have no joy when you actually have joy. I mean, you're not silent. You're, you're not still. You're, you're not quiet. Like when you have joy, it's celebrated. And what happens in, in this context is, is joy is celebrated through saying amen. Can I say amen? amen. <laughs> and through the raising of hands. And it wasn't just raising of hands in worship. And I don't know what kind of culture you want to build, what we want to build, but how cool would it be when the word of God speaks some truth into your life? You say amen. amen. Or you even raise your hand like, I'll receive it. Come on. You know, uh, and the, the, the Jewish people, they responded. Their joy had a response. Now, I'm a borderline sports addict. Don't judge me. Uh, and I, I, uh, I love Alabama football. Any football fans in this room? Come on. Y'all are all Alabama fans. I love that. That's really what I meant to say. Uh, Alabama had a tough game yesterday. I don't know if you watched the game, but Florida, I don't know why, but um, it was even that difficult. But they were at the, we were, yeah, we were watching the game. And the, the first three uh, possessions that Alabama had, they, they, they scored three touchdowns. I mean, I, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Like the game over, right? And I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm raising my hands. I'm cheering at the TV like they can hear me. And for the next three possessions, like they punt the ball. Now, if you don't know sports or football, like punting is bad. All right, you don't want to punt. Uh, you don't want to give the ball back to the other team. And I'm, I'm still talking to the TV. Like, why are you punting? Like, well, come on, defense. Like, what, what's going on? It's not, it's not, not, not that difficult. Like, Nick Saban, like, you, you should learn from me. I know you're like 70 million years old and won a million championships, but like, I, I have some wisdom here. And I'm talking to the TV. There, there's a time, there's a play. Uh, maybe if you, if you love sports, you maybe all have done this. Uh, but Bryce Young dropped back to throw a pass. He threw a pass. And before the receiver caught the ball, what did I do? I threw, my, I threw my hands up in the air. 
I was letting my whole living room, this is me and Mama Lee, uh, that, that, I was letting everybody know that, that was going to be a touchdown. I mean, I, my joy required a response. And I don't, I don't know about you or your team or your sports team, and I get it. We, we talk about it all the time. Being from Atlanta, there's not a whole lot of joy. There's not a whole lot of celebration. There's just a lot of frustration. Um, but but I, I honestly think, man, if you come to church, if you come to Stone Creek, like we're winning here. Do you believe it? I, I believe that when we walk through our doors, and if you have kids, praise God, you can drop your kids off for 60 minutes and have a bit of freedom. Amen? And not only are those 60 minutes of freedom, but those 60 minutes of some of the best volunteers in the world training and teaching your kids the gospel. Isn't that great? And then you get to walk by and grab some coffee. Thank you, Cindy Grace, for some hot coffee or some cold coffee. And you can drink some coffee as you come in and sit in your chairs. I, I think that's winning. That, that brings me joy. And then you get to sit in these comfy seats. If you picked one without the, the stain of candle wax, and you get to, get to hang out. You get to experience worship by some of the best band members in, in the entire world until the nation. And then you get to experience the sound in such a, 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 a crystal clarity. You get to see us on a screen by people in the back. Like, like this brings me joy. I don't know if it brings you joy. And many times, like, well, what, what if we, we, we begin to treat Sunday morning like our football game or the thing that brings us joy? Or what if before the worship leader comes up and says, hey, we all stand and worship? Like, you're the first one up. Like, you're telling people, stand up. He's about to say stand up. So you should stand up. We're about to score a touchdown. We're about to win. Stand up. Uh, what, what, what if, you know, when you hear something good that, that you say, you say amen, like it's going to be a walk-off home run. Not, not that you think I'm good or Stephen's good or Sean's good. That would be helpful if you told us every now and then. But that the word of God is good. That the truth of the Bible is so good that you're like, that's good. Amen. 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 Like you raise your hand up, you know, before we, we, we <laughs> what if we did this? What if we opened the word of God and you just, you just ran him out touchdown? I don't know. Y'all are just in it. Y'all, that's going to happen. Um, like these are, <laughs> come on. These are how the people were responding to the Bible. And this, this is what we want. This is what I want. This is what I want for you. This is what I, I want from me. I want to experience the word of God, experience worship, experience this place in such a joy that it overflows into action. I want us to, even when it doesn't feel like it, we choose to act like it. Many times uh, I stand on the, the front row and many times, most songs, I'll raise my hands or I'll dance or do something over there. Um, and, and, and many times, or not, some, sometimes, my heart's actually not in it. I have bad days, bad weeks, just like you have bad days, bad weeks. I have tough mornings, just like you have tough mornings. And sometimes I'm just not there, but I try to raise my hand so my heart will catch up. Many times when, when Stephen's preaching, for me, I want, I want to be engaged, but I also know it's helpful. Because, oh, that's good, because it was good. And I got to remind myself that it was good. And so, so many times in, in, in our context here, I encourage you guys to start stepping out of your context. It'll look weird. It'll feel weird. But, but it'll help remind you that joy has an action. Amen? <laughs> awesome. I love it. Stephen, you're set up to preach great next week, by the way. Come on. Here we go. It says, and also Jeshua, I'm not going to even read these names. Stephen read, can read these names. He's like the, the perfect guy in this. He read it a couple weeks ago. You can check it on YouTube. I'm going to skip the names. And the Levites. Help the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Again, this is crazy to me. Six hours, uh, midday in, in, in the Middle East, uh, people stood up for six hours just, just, just hungry for the word of God. And the Bible says uh, that the people understood actually the preaching and people actually understood 
the Bible. I think many times in my life, there's been times in my life that I've read through the Bible like a textbook. Have you ever done this? It's there. I think it's needed for my Christian journey. And I need to pick it up and kind of, kind of, kind of read through it because it's just the right thing to do. I mean, when you're in college, you receive a textbook. And the really the only reason, the main reason you read it is because the professor told you to. And many of you, don't tell your parents, you don't read it until like the day before the test or you don't read it at all. And you just like figure out some great notes. Don't, 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 that's, that's not good. Your parents shouldn't know that. But, but many of us, um, we, we, I think sometimes we tend to read the Bible like it's been given to us by a professor and not a book given to us by a friend. You, you know the difference? If your friends are talking about a book that is like awesome or encourage them, uh, you're, you're more apt to read it and to understand it. And so my, my encouragement to you today is, is let us this week try to read the Bible for understanding, not as a textbook. So what that might mean for you and for me is to slow down. What that might mean for you or for me is to kind of pray beforehand and um, maybe you don't read a chapter a day because it doesn't keep the devil away. And maybe you should just read a couple of verses and kind of pray through it and ask God for your help to understand it. It says in Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the temple or taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord of, of the law. Then he said to them, Go to, go your way, eat your eat, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, to give you more context, the Jewish people, as the law was being read, it was probably, uh, Ezra's probably reading Leviticus or Deuteronomy, as the law was being read, they were probably um, being convicted of their sin, convicted of their lack of faith in God, convicted of the choices they've made while they've been away from God. And, and some, some people began weeping and crying. Um, and maybe it was because they were just overwhelmed by the scripture, maybe it was because of the conviction, but, but what Ezra says, he goes, no, 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 stop, stop crying. This isn't a day of mourning. This isn't a day of mourning. I want you, the scripture should produce joy in you. Our knowledge of sin should never be bigger than the knowledge of our Savior. And many times you and I will walk into church service and maybe we walk away going like, ah, oh, I'm such a bad person. Like, ah, oh, I've done this wrong and I messed up again. The knowledge of our sins should never be greater than the knowledge of our Savior. And many of us... We need to hear that and see that and repeat that selves to us every day because sometimes our sin feels like it outweighs the purpose of our Savior. We are great sinners, but Jesus, he's a great Savior, and this should bring us great joy. And I love this. It says, your great work should lead you away from sorrow and closer to joy. As Ezra stands up, preaches the Bible, teaches the Bible for six hours. People begin to cry. People begin to get convicted. He, he kind of changes their direction. And then he gives them this last mission. He goes, I, I want you to go celebrate. I want you to go have a party. You can read it in chapter eight. I want you to go home, go cook some food, go get out the best wine. And I, I want you to have some food and some wine. Does that sound like joy to you? The people left. And actually, before they left, he said, well, I want you to go home, get you some food, get you some wine. But if you know of anybody else that doesn't have food or doesn't have wine, go give them some food and wine. Go throw a party. 
Church, look right at me. Who needs joy in your life? Who are the people around you that really need some joy and they just can't get there? Maybe it's their circumstances. Maybe it's their own mistakes. But they just don't have it. They don't have the means to get there. And you see it. You hear the fights of the neighbors. You see the faces of your coworkers. You know it. And Ezra's going, man, your, your joy in your heart, the, the joy that's overwhelming you, the joy of knowing God, your father, should, should magnify and have a domino effect on the joy of other people. Don't just you go get some food and wine. Go get some food and wine to other people. And what's the food and what's the wine you need to give to your people? Is it a meal? Is it a bottle of wine? Is it a letter of encouragement? Is it an invite? Is it just pulling their garbage can back to their front of their house? Nehemiah and Ezra, they, they rally around these people. They rally around unity because they know unity brings them joy. They rallied around the word of God because they believe the word of God is going to bring them joy. And they sent the people on mission. Because mission, it brings you joy. Your marriage, what are you doing to bring joy to your marriage? Are you cooking food and having wine, date night? Are you inviting your neighbors over? Are you throwing parties with your kids in the living room and making tents out of sheets for the hundredth time that causes way more cleanup for you as they're sleeping? What great work are you doing? And we know that Jesus is the ultimate joy. You and I know that following Jesus gives us more joy than anything in the world. And Jesus even says he counted it all joy on the cross dying, dying for you and I. God, the Father in heaven, it was like he was telling Jesus, no, 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 no. The death on the cross, this ultimate work is going to lead to so much joy in, in millions and thousands of people. Last question today. Do you believe that Jesus is the ultimate joy? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for this place, for these people, for your word, for joy. My goodness, thank you for joy. And I pray for Jesus, there's people in this room that have never experienced joy or just living in a, a season of mourning, of frustration, that maybe Jesus, they've never experienced you before. I pray today is the day. And if that's you this morning, if you want to experience Jesus as your ultimate joy, I would love for you to pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you to take me in. I need you to hold me close. I want to follow you. Because I want the joy that you can bring to my life. And if you pray that this morning, out of obedience, as a first step, to make your relationship with Jesus not personal, but somewhat public, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And, and people's eyes are closed and their heads bowed, but I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. 
Jesus, you're full of joy. Jesus, I pray you'll overflow my cup with joy, my life with joy, me as a dad with joy, me as a husband with joy, me as a neighbor with joy. I pray, Jesus, you fill these people with an extreme amount of joy. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.